This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Exodus chapter 28. And we're starting through the other priestly garments. Now, as we've already gone through, we've described the ephod. We've described uh, the the breast piece. So you've got you've got really what is the outer garments, or what are the things that kind of represent the outward appearance of the priest. But when we get to this, this is a little bit deeper. It's a little bit more important as far as our understanding of our relationship with with Christ. And uh, our relationship with God as, well, as priest. We, like I've said many times as we've been studying through this, the book of the Revelation says, look, he has made them kings and priests, or it can be translated, a kingdom of priests. And when you're thinking about priestliness, let me say this, priestliness is definitely a part of it. You could say maybe he's not saying we're kings, but we're definitely priests. And that means we have access to him. A priest has access. Priest is able to go before God and to deal with God and to receive information, knowledge, understanding from God. We're definitely in the book of the Revelation when it's talking about the church, when it's talking about the New Testament church. He says, look, they have made, he has made them a kingdom of priests. And the outer accoutrements, the things that kind of represent our position as priest would have been the things that we've already studied. Now, the garments that we're going to study in this part are the garments that kind of speak to our personal and our personal relationship with God. And they have a little bit more importance. So I'm a little bit slow down and I'm going to deal with them individually, the different uh, items and the different things that it talks about, because I want you to see the importance of these passages and how they describe the way we're supposed to relate to God. And so I think that is of the utmost importance. So he says, make the robe of the ephod entirely a blue cloth. Now, what is that? I thought the ephod was the thing that he wore around and it had all these beautiful ornate items on it and, and things like that. That's right. And so this is the black, the, the backdrop of that ephod. This would have been a robe that would have been worn under the ephod, under the breastplate. It would have been the robe that, that would have been uh, behind them. It's the backdrop. And it's to be of, of blue cloth. And blue tends to represent holiness in Scripture, okay? It tends to uh, represent being holy before him. And so the clothing that we're supposed to wear that is that is the backdrop of all that we do for God is the clothe, clothing of holiness. Now, that's that. this is a deep well we're going to have to go down and deal with. Holiness is difficult for us because we're utterly sinful. 
And in many ways, we carry the holiness of Christ. We're, it's his righteousness and his holiness is imputed to us through his finished work on the cross. Now, um, there's two ways to look at this. And uh, there are a group of people who uh, see uh, the holiness of Christ being based off of his fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And that is what is imputed to us. That's what God places on us uh, because Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law that him fulfilling that Old Testament law is placed on us. Now, that remember, holiness and righteousness are, are two sides to the same coin. They come together. I'm holy. That means I'm not sinful. I'm not not God. And so on the other side of the coin, because I'm holy, I'm right before him. I have a righteousness before him. Now, <clears throat> the problem with the fulfillment of the Old Testament being the reason why we are okay with God is that, that that's not really the teaching of the New Testament. That's not what God teaches us, that we're, we have a righteousness that is born of fulfilling some Old Testament law. The righteousness that we have or the holiness that we have comes from faith. And you go, if it's imputed to us by Christ, is it, is, does it really come by faith? And I believe that's what I believe about the uh, work of Jesus on the cross. The work of Jesus on the cross paid for the sin of the of the of humanity, which is defined by the law, meaning the law says this is the way God is, this is what is right, and this is what is good. And then we didn't live by it, so it defines it. It identifies our unholiness. The law identifies it. But the finished work of Jesus Christ uh, on the cross was more than him just fulfilling the Old Testament law by living a sinless life. The finished work of Jesus Christ was his faith in his Father, his trusting his Father. It is a righteousness that's born of Jesus coming in the form of a man. Sure, he lived perfectly by the Old Testament law, but he lived righteously before him by faith, meaning he only did what he saw his Father doing. He only acted the way his father wanted him to act. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will, but thy will. You see over and over and over again, as he's going through his life, he's following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He's seeking after the will of his father. Notice he is operating perfectly as a part of the Godhead, as his personhood of the Godhead is, as his being the representation of the physical manifestation of God. Remember, the Father is the will of God. The Holy Spirit's the power and the presence of God. Jesus is the physical manifestation of God. And so Jesus, as the physical manifestation of God, the person of Jesus Christ, is trusting in the Holy Spirit, and he is trusting in the Father. And that righteousness that comes from faith, that righteousness that comes from faith uh, is imputed to us, and it makes us holy, okay? Now, did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament law? Yeah, remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So it, did he fulfill the Old Testament law? Yes, and that made him the Messiah. That made him the Christ. That made him the coming king because he fulfilled the Old Testament law. He was the fulfillment of God's plan uh, for Israel perfectly the plan for Israel.
Okay, so he did all that, and that is not to be negated, and it and its importance is just as much as anything else. Okay, I'm not negating that at all. But what I am saying is that the righteousness that we receive from him is now we do see, receive his righteousness in that he is he's a fulfillment of the Old Testament promises of God. But the righteousness that we receive from him that is imputed to us, meaning it's taken from him and placed on us, even though we didn't do anything for it, he placed, that's placed on us is a righteousness that is born of his obedience because he trusted the Father, which is faith. It's a born of faith. And so when we're studying through Scripture and we get to a place where we're wearing this, where the priest is wearing this blue garment that represents the holiness of God, now, remember, white represents sinlessness. Blue here represents being holy, being beyond our place in time. It really is a symbolic of, it had been a picture of sky, it's sky blue, really. That's the color of this cloth. It's the picture of being beyond ourselves because we're sinful and God is holy and separate from us. And that wearing that blue cloth represents that as we approach God, we don't pr- approach God on a, in a righteousness that's our own. And we don't approach God that in a righteousness that is born of living by the law, even though Christ did do that, okay? It is a righteousness that's born of his faith, which gave us eternal life. And so we need to walk in that righteousness ourselves. We need to walk by faith ourselves. And that doesn't mean you're not going to be sin, you're not going to stumble. It just means that you walk by faith. He says, with the opening for the head in the center, obviously, if you're going to have a uh, robe, you need a place for your head to stick out. So the opening's in the center. I want you to think of it as if you laid it out like a long cloth, okay, a long cloth, and then right in the center was a hole for the head, and you put it over, and then you tie it off. There's going to be there's going to be a belt that ties this thing off. He says, with opening the head and center, and there shall be woven on the edge like a collar around the opening so that it will not tear, meaning he, he wants you to put a little etching around the edge and, and make it so that the as he takes it on and off, on and off, on and off, it doesn't tear. This is this is then that represents our holiness too. There's not a there, there's not a blemish in it. There's it's not it's not it's not weak that it might be torn. The holiness that we receive, the righteousness that we receive, remember those are two sides of the same coin same coin we're holy and righteous the holiness and righteousness that is imputed to us by Jesus Christ on the cross is not it, it does it's not blemished it's not able to be torn it's not able to be broken okay it says make pomegranates of blue purple scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe and gold bells between them now this is important pomegranates always a symbol in the Old Testament of fruitfulness, meaning that can be fruitfulness in the increasing, like uh, God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. It can also represent the fruitfulness of God's uh, of God's promises and God's fulfillment of his promises and his goodness and his grace and his mercy that pours out on us. All these palm granites that are around the rope. Now, remember, you got a robe, you lay it out, looks like a big, long garment. It's got a hole in the center. It's embroidered around there so it doesn't tear. And then around the edges, all the way around the edges, are these pomegranates and bells. Pomegranates and bells. So there's, uh, this is a pretty ornate, neat item. Pomegranates represent once we have the righteousness of Christ, once we have his holiness, once we're once we have all that imputed to us, now we have the ability to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Where we have the ability to walk in the fruitfulness of God, to receive his blessing, to receive his goodness, to receive his power. And you go, what are the bells for? 
The bells for are for approaching God properly, okay? Because what would happen is the priest, and it says it here, let me just read it. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the rope. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? What? So he won't die. Yeah. Remember, approaching God is because God is holy and you have the righteousness and the holiness of Christ imputed to you. You need to approach him the right way. And that's the important thing that I want you to get out of this. The important thing, God has a way to approach him. He has a way that he wants you to enter into his presence. And the tabernacle and the temple, and we were doing a, a youth retreat this weekend, and I had the kids all come up on the stage, and I, I went through the from the entry point in the courtyard all the way to the Holy of Holies, and I explained to them how you enter the presence of God and the tabernacle and the temple. And remember, do you not know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? They are, they're pictures of how you go through the process of preparing yourself to meet with God. You enter the gates with thanksgiving, then you wash. There's usually a washing pool or a laboring, depending on whether you're in the tabernacle or the temple, and you wash and you allow the Holy Spirit to clean the world off of you. Then you present a sacrifice for us in the New Testament. It would not be an animal sacrifice because that's already been made. It's a daily sacrifice of ourselves. Do you not know your bodies are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God? And this is the reasonable thing to do. This is a reasonable act of service that we have for him. You present yourself as a sacrifice. You say, I lay myself down as your son laid himself down for me. I give myself to you. Then you enter into the actual tabernacle or temple. And as you enter in, there is uh, there's fellowship because there's an area for fellowship right there. If you enter in the temple, it would be the it would be the the porch that is right there in front as you enter in. Then you enter in, and there's we've already gone through. You got the menorah, and you got the showbread, and so the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, who is the bread of life, to us. And then, as notice, you've got washing, you've got sacrifice, you've got fellowship. Then you've got God revealing His Son to you. He's revealing by the Holy Spirit. And then you enter into the Holy of Holies. And at the Holy of Holies, you have a chance to meet God at the altar. You have a chance to meet him and to present your request to him and to receive the redemptive grace and mercy and power that he has for you. And that's the process. That's the process we do. If you do it, do a daily Bible study, that's the process you ought to go through. You ought to sing a song with him. You ought to, you ought to allow him to wash you in his word a little bit. You, you allow, you, you present yourself as a sacrifice. You fellowship with God. You consider the things that have been going on in your life and you present them to them, him and sacrifice them on that on that uh, altar and then you then you read his word and you allow the holy spirit to reveal itself to you and then you approach god and talk about what you who you are and what's going on and what he's revealed to you and and you you trust him and you believe him that's the that's the methodology that's how we do it now you go how do we do that worship we try to organize it. in fact most most christian worship services have some kind of order that really reflects that 
they may not do it. They may do it their own cultural way. There may be cultural things that they do that is different in one church than the other. But in many ways, you usually start out with some singing. You you have some time of offering, making an offering. Now, in most churches, that's just money, but it, it really represents more than just money. It's all of you. And then you have a time of reading and studying God's word. And then you have a time of, of decision. That's it. Now, you figure out how to do it. You figure out how to make worship more powerful. You figure out how to make make the Word more tied to the Holy Spirit and to God's Word. You do, All those things are things you work on. You make sure that you there's a celebratory sense that goes along with worshiping God. You make sure that your fellowship is wonderful, that people sense a, a, to be a part of the kingdom. You do all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> the main thing is you do the things that God has given us the picture to do, and we walk in that. And as we walk in that, God reveals himself to us. Now, you go, what about the dying thing? You just skipped over the dying thing. No, I didn't. But remember, we still are approaching a holy God, okay? And and in the book of Malachi, in First and Second Corinthians, God deals with approaching him with the right intentions of the heart, making sure that you do the things that are, you're not just making this some kind of religious ceremony. And that you're not bringing him, you're not bringing him your worst, you're bringing him your best. And God wants us to bring him his best, our best, and not something that's second rate or something that's sick or something that's dying. He wants us to bring us, bring him our our very best. And, And as you understand that, you realize that this is not about bringing God something to appease him. This is about bringing God myself so that I might have all of him. And that's what this priestly robe is about that kind of goes up under all the ornate items, the ephod and the breastplate. It is, it's an important understanding that we have the righteousness and holiness of God. And when we approach him, we need to approach him in that righteousness and holiness as best we can. And as best we understand, remember, God doesn't judge you on the, on the, quality of how well you do it. He judges you on the desire to do it well. And and he will make you good at it if you will be fired up and motivated to be uh, honoring of him by doing the best you possibly can. God's not a judger of the outcome because he's in charge of the outcome. God, God discerns our heart and our heart's desire and that's what he did, makes his decisions based off of. And so I pray that you'll learn how to do that. I pray that uh, you won't miss out on As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.